Hello, and welcome to the Great Birth Rebellion podcast, where we grapple with current research to help you get the best out of your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey while still challenging the dominant birth culture. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Jackson at Melanie the Midwife, and I'm joined weekly by my co-host, B from Core and Flora Store, and this is the Great Birth Rebellion. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Great Birth Rebellion. Today, we are specifically focusing on what we've called maternal alignment. So this came up because we were super frustrated with the messaging about fetal positioning and and optimal fetal positioning for your baby and how the focus is always on how to turn the baby in the position that we want it to be. But today we're going to flip the script. We want to focus on the woman's body and what she can do and all of the things. And fortunately, one of us is an absolute total expert and ninja on this topic, which is B. And so she and she's just recorded a three-hour educational session on this exact topic. So you guys are benefiting from her hours and hours and hours of time investment and research on this topic. And she's going to try and condense the best bits into a podcast episode. But you can still listen to the full three-hour one. If you go to her website, you can click on that and, and have a full listen to all of it. But today she's going to give you a taster. I, I love your confidence in my ability to give a taster because, and yeah, the webinars are on the website. We'll link them here. They're super cheap. You just pay for access. So it's like 20 bucks for 14 days, um, 50 bucks for three months. And I've got heaps coming up on birthing after um, perineal trauma and birthing with prolapse and prolapse as well. So they're coming up in November. So get on it. And I think, you know, you gave that beautiful introduction at the start around that often the focus is on the baby. And I think when we're the person that's pregnant, the only person's body we ever control is our own. And trying to control somebody else's body often doesn't work that well. And we see that a lot in birth. And I think, you know, really acknowledging here that our babies are their own unique unit they're their own unique human and they've got their own intuition and in the uterus. So as, as a fetus, they have intuition that guides them through labor and birth. They are connected to our body, but they are separate beings. And so I really believe in our body's knowledge. I believe in our body's intuition and I believe in trusting that. And I also believe in working with ourselves um, but, and honoring our babies, yeah, we can connect to them. And this is something we've never really spoken about. I'm a huge believer in connection to our babies in pregnancy, perhaps during labor, if if there's capacity for it. But during pregnancy and, and birth, especially if interventions are going to occur, it can be a really nice thing to do. And this isn't going to land for everyone. So as always, keep what works for you, throw out the rest. But a concept I really love is actually telling our body and our baby if something's going to happen to it that it isn't in charge of. So specifically interventions. So, you know, before you have a cesarean, telling your baby and your body, hey, this is going to happen to us right now and we've got this. 
or perhaps even as the baby's being born, hey, you're being taken to the resuscitator. And if you're a birth worker listening to this and you don't do this yet, I really invite you to bring that practice in or even talk to people that you work with around, hey, would it be okay if your baby was taken from you to the resuscitator that I told it what it was ha- what was happening to it? It's that connection, right? And that connection often makes us as a care provider feel safe or us as a person that's having something done to us feel a lot safer and the baby yes mel mel (laughs) just so everyone knows mel's normally in charge right and she's handed over the power today to me um and so she's raising her hand like a good little girl which we are not good little girls mel we are badass wise women so just you unmute woman you just unmute and you speak you speak I have a tendency because because I'm learning a lot more about myself and I'm reading this book called Surrounded by Idiots, which I'm doing with the other midwives in the Assembly of Rebellious Midwives. And, and I've learned that I'm a red personality and reds are very um, bad at interrupting conversations because they want to really push it along. They want to like get to the point. And so I'm practicing not interrupting people. So I said to B, if I need to talk in this one, I'm I'm going to raise my hand so that I don't interrupt you and you just choose when's the right time for me to interject. So I raised my hand and B is an excellent host and she just let me go straight for it. I just wanted to talk to that point of like talking to the baby because some people are like, well, the baby doesn't understand. The baby doesn't know what a resuscitator or a cesarean is. But if you are talking to a baby as an adult and as a clinician, it makes the baby more human to us because what can happen is when we're clinicians and we think, right, I need to do this, we're not necessarily treating that baby like as a human being. And so even when I'm doing like a newborn check, I'll say, oh, hello, darling, whatever their name is. I'm just going to check your heart. It might feel a little bit cold when I put this on. Um, I'm just going to measure your head. We're going to go for a little ride in the waistling. You know, really just reminding myself, like, this is not a procedure or a process that I'm just ticking boxes on. I'm actually looking after a person um, who's dearly loved, whose mother made it, you know, who's, you know. And And feelings. Right, it has feelings. It has feelings. I I had been a midwife for 12 years or something and had had my own child and it wasn't until my second child was born that I realised that babies have feelings. That whole connection, because often we're like, oh, they don't remember. And so I think we often associate with if somebody doesn't remember something, then they're not feeling it or they're not in it at the time. Yeah, and they can feel the vibe of the clinician, like, even, you know, doing a newborn screening test on a baby, like, okay, we're going to have a heel prick. It's going to hurt a little bit, but you'll be okay and you're safe and your mum is here. And I had once a student watch me do a newborn screen on a baby that was sleeping and it stayed asleep for the whole thing. And she's like, how did you do that? I'm like, you can exude calmness when you do things that keep the rest of the room calm. So, yeah, I, I think, think that's... Well, the important thing here is... And this comes into a lot of what we're going to be talking about. And I know it can may seem like we're sidetracked, but you're getting your red is changing color, babe, because you're 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 leaning in to um, the different colors when we get sidetracked. Like before we started this podcast, I was like, I need to do a burp. Hang on a second. And Mel was like, Oh, we need to record that. And I was like, 
you would have you used to edit out my inhales like so just just acknowledging the shifts in you woman and just celebrating that if it feels good for you because again no. you're great in the red as well I'm doing the work. I've realised that reds can come across as abrupt and controlling and I don't want to be viewed that way. We're going to talk about the polyvagal theory and that those colours are in the polyvagal theory. So green is our parasympathetic, it's the calm and connected. Yellow is that sympathetic flight, flight, fawn. Red is the freeze, flop, fatigue kind of zone. So, yeah, uh, reds, if it feels good for you, honey, being red, anyone wants to be in red, being red, but often what reds figure out somewhere along the line is red doesn't feel good to be in. and I want to really say I was red for a long time too so um we're doing the work talk about okay I'm being red now talk to us yeah. about the well I want to talk about the feelings for a second because that's super important so know that babies have feelings also know babies are deeply in their bodies they're not in their minds. So what we've kind of come to realize is that by about age seven in our modernity, we really lose our ability to connect with our body, which is what we call our intuition. And we've been conditioned out of it, right? And we've been conditioned out of it by being, you know, told things like eat everything on your plate. Um, you just go to the toilet because you're going to go to bed or we're going for a long car ride or just try and do a poo. All those things where the adults, the grown-ups in our life have controlled our body. And so we learn, we, we're conditioned to believe that our bodies are wrong. And so really by about age seven, we lose that intuition. So babies are born deeply intuitive and they're connected to energy and they live in their bodies a hell of a lot more than they live in their prefrontal cortex or their that part of their brain that is a problem-solving part, which is what most of our, us as adults live in. Our culture very much respects and values intellect over instinct or intuition which is very much like the hospital system as well right it's constantly trying to problem solve in birth like and so this is what intuitive care would look like is hey what does your body feel like right now what does your body feel like it needs to do what does your body feel like it needs we don't ask questions like that we don't provide care like that and that is that is respecting the body's wisdom and so that is why I like to shift our focus here onto the maternal alignment and what's going on for us because that's the intuition we're connected to. That's the wisdom we're connected to. Our babies, they have their own intuition that is connected to what's happening in our bodies, but they're being guided by that. And so for some babies, we have this you know, optimal fetal positioning to make an easier labor and, and to do all these things. But for some babies in some mother's or birthing person's body at that time, what we deem is optimal may not be for that baby. And we may be forcing it into positions that actually aren't right for it. What I want to focus on more than anything and what I believe I'm focusing on is, is, is ourselves and ensuring that no matter what our path is, whether that be spontaneous labour or induction, we're creating as much room as possible for our baby to work with. The other thing I wanted to say, I'm going to go into that and how we can do that in a second. But the other thing I want to say is often, you know, how you said you, when you work with a baby, you're telling it what, it what you're doing because that makes it more human. We intellectually may not remember, as in like our brain may not remember, but our body has memory too. 
I, this is a crazy story. Some of you will know it, some of you won't. But I was bitten and killed by an eastern brown snake, so second deadliest snake in the world, on my property in Western Sydney as a 12-year-old. I was fully resuscitated and I have Nepean Hospital and Westmead Children's Hospital to thank. And if you were in ED in 1997 and uh, you looked after me, please get in touch because I just, I've met one person. So this is a crazy, I have to tell this, the daughter of Peter Jackson who created Calm Birth, she was my nurse and looked after me. All right. Which is just phenomenal. Did you I properly, did you properly die? Because I know you were bitten. I didn't realise you were like, you know, really gone. Oh, B. Okay. Sorry, I interrupted your story. No. Yeah. Like it's, and that, so it was always a cool story because I was in year six and I got to be on the news. So when I went back to school, I was famous. I was given like seven doses of antivenine. Like I was pumped up, like so much adrenaline. Now that story was always super, super, super cool for me. 25 years later, I've realized that actually that was incredible, being resuscitated, but what I've worked out is being resuscitated was incredibly triggering on my body. Dying was to a certain extent, but because it was a, my body responded in a really beautiful way by the end of it, right? So I want to say dying was really calm. Dying was really peaceful. And and I had some beautiful hormones that came in and looked after me. And I do, I really trust that for death. I think um, dying just like birth can be completely euphoric. And some people are not going to understand that, but as someone who has died, I can speak to that and go, it felt good. It didn't, when I got bitten and when I was panicking and when I had the headache and I couldn't breathe, all of that was really scary. And then what I remember is these beautiful moments afterwards of of becoming unconscious and going out and it felt lovely. And but what was really, when I started doing body work and when I started addressing this issue, what I realised and started listening to my body's story, because that was my mind story was that it was a cool story. My body story was, ah, that was actually really traumatic. Getting resuscitated was really horrific. A lot of what's happened to me in the last year and a half working with that story and really diving into my body has made me really great at what I do. I know that. And I trust that I was meant to be bitten and resuscitated to do what I do now. Um, But it's also made me think about birth a lot and and babies a lot and what our bodies experience and so I do want to say that our babies do bodies do remember and that's part of our story and it's you know there's there's a beautifulness in this too and there's a not so beautifulness and so that really what it comes down to is connection and 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 trust and we have often in the birth world that birth world that word trust gets thrown around a hell of a lot I don't think as somebody who hasn't as I don't think the body would ever fully trust something it hasn't yet done before. A level of fear, I think, is biologically normal when you do something for the first time. But I think the comments that are often made around trust can have an agenda with them. And so we often say, trust our body, trust our baby. Now, first and foremost, I want to say here especially in line with maternal alignment. I believe in our body's ability to give birth. We are overpopulated and we're overpopulated in countries that don't have all the intervention. I believe birth works truly and deeply. It does for the majority of people. 
And so often the rebuttal around things like maternal alignment and fetal alignment and things like that is that, oh, we don't believe the body can do it, so we have to do all these things, right? And I really am conscious that birth in our modernity has very much become about a checklist. We need to do all these things in order to have a good birth, and that is very much a reflection on how we've been raised because our belief system is if we work hard and we do all the things right, then we will get the reward. And so in birth, we expect the reward to be whatever birth we're aiming for, which a lot of people, when they do all this work, are aiming for a physiological vaginal birth. What happens with that is when we don't get that, we automatically go, well, I didn't get the reward, so therefore I must have done something wrong or somebody must have done something wrong, and we shift into that blame state. And so birth has very much become about this checklist of things to do, and we see birth as an outcome rather than the journey. And so I really want to kind of start off this chat with the maternal alignment saying, yeah, 100% believe our bodies are incredibly capable and and know how to birth and that birth is just like weaning and pooing and crying um, and breathing. Birth is a physiological function that we've been designed to do. I also just want to acknowledge that we don't use our bodies and we're not connected to our bodies the way our ancestry or our ancestral lines were. Um, if you look at couches, we've only had couches for the last 400 years. Pillows were invented. Chairs, sitting at tables on chairs, sleeping on beds that are high up off the floor, driving. Like how long have we had cars? Like most of our grandparents didn't have cars. They walked everywhere. And so the distances we cover and the way we use our bodies has changed dramatically And that is going to have a flow-on effect to how our bodies feel and how our bodies work. The other thing is that we're living with a saber-toothed tiger at our doorstep pretty much 24-7. Most of us are very much living in a sympathetic, dominated state. So if you know anything about the polyvagal theory that was developed in 1994, many of us are in the fawn state, which is we people please, the fight or the flight state, and that is that, you know, we talk about that yellow state where the whole body system redirects blood flow and we get constriction in our body. What happens when you feel scared or at threat or at in danger? We constrict. We have a hell of a lot of constriction that comes from a lot of stress in our body in normal life And then you just look at what pregnant people experience, right? And I really look at that end of pregnancy time where we're meant to be softening and opening and feeling really held and supported and nourished. Most women are being told to book in an induction and their amniotic fluid's too low and this is happening. They're going to bathe, their baby's going to die. Like all the comments, we're we're forcing women into sympathetic nervous system domination, which is going to have a massive flow-on effect to how that body is held. And the three muscles that I don't think the birth space really thinks about enough are the iliopsoas um, muscles. So we've got two psoas muscles, the psoas major and minor and the ilicus. And they, um, the psoas is phenomenal. It it's a muscle, but I really love, I think I think of it like an organ and a lot of people do because it's our literally our flight and our fight muscles because it connects 
from that spine to it comes through and it crosses over from the back of our body, it crosses into the front of our body and connects down onto our leg. And so it's literally the muscles that allow us to run away um, or hold tight. And so it's deeply connected to that polyvagal theory. And so when those muscles are tight, you think about where they lay in the body. And we do a lot about this in the webinar. We show those muscles. But that's the exact space where our babies want to turn and rotate. And so if those muscles are turned on and taking up space, our baby now has less room to move, right? And so this is why I'm like, I trust babies when they take a path that we aren't expecting them to take because they're in our bodies. They're sussing out what it feels like. And perhaps they go to rotate and they're like, oh, that iliopsoas muscles are really tight. Now we have to go this way. The other thing that really impacts us is how we hold our body. Like I really want you to think about what postures you hold every day. How often do you sit cross-legged? How often do you dump into one hip when you're standing? How much do you squeeze your bum for dear life and your pelvic floor? Or do you arch your lower back and really stick that bum out like Daffy Duck? Is there compression in your lower back? Now, pregnancy often causes us to change our postures. And so, and our body often isn't um, conditioned and hasn't got that strength and length. So balance, we're not all about strength. We're really about balance to hold us. And so we often get that really lumbar lordosis, which is an element to that that is normal in pregnancy, but it's often over-exaggerated. Those hips are really rotated forward. And so what we end up with is a lot of constriction in some areas, weakness in others. And so whenever there's constriction, there's now less space in that body for the baby to move and, and find its position that feels right for it or work with the body if it's been forced to go into labour that it hasn't yet said that it's in the right position to do. So the other thing that really happens in birth education is we get shown these bony pelvises and babies. And most of us grew up thinking that bones are really hard and that's because what we're used to is dead bone. Right. So when we eat meat, for example, if you eat meat or you see a bone that perhaps you've given your dog, it's dead. And so it's actually a hell of a lot more harder than a live bone. But the other way we often see bones is in um, anatomical models and like in a, in a doctor or a physios or osteosurgery or unine science where we have the skeletons and they're often really quite hard too. So first of all, we think that the baby is coming through this empty pelvis that is fixed. And it depends on who you speak to here. My beautiful osteo bestie believes that there's seven joints in in the pelvis because if we're really taking to the the legs connecting, um, there are. Some people will say five. But basically all we really need to know is that the pelvis has all these joints and it's able to move and that bone is actually soft, softer than I think most of us think it is. Um, And a beautiful way to actually connect with your body, you can do this if it feels safe for you, is stick your fingers in your vagina and feel your bones from the inside. You know, it's not, they're still hard and they're the harder, they're much more harder than muscle and connective tissue, but they're they're able to be moved and they're able to be pressed up against um, and, and they're able to be worked with. So we grow up and we hear about bones and muscles, but what we very rarely hear about is connective tissue. 
And our body is filled with connective tissue. And if you think about it like a web that is constantly moving, right, in that beautiful in and out movement, what we've got is a baby that's trying to navigate a space that has bone, that has muscle, that has connective tissue. So when I go in and do internal release work, some people's connective tissue feels like tight guitar strings, right? Like I can feel a ligament and it's almost like it goes twing, twing, other times it's beautiful and soft and 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 moves and so it's not just a baby in a bone it's baby bone connective tissue muscle and organs right so we always talk about need to empty the bladder because that can prevent the baby coming down so there's also organs and that's why our body poos the most amount it's ever pooed in its life before we go into spontaneous labor like both my I think my second labor I was like is this two years worth of poo like how much can I possibly poo and then my best friend came into the bathroom and it was horrendous like it was the stinkiest like I just I went like five times and it was this incredible clear out like at the time I was I remember physiology like thinking physiology is amazing like my body has just done this incredible job to make more space for my baby right and that was my one hour labor and it, and before I started contracting it was like an hour of pooing and an hour of contraction so it was an hour of physiological body prep and then my bestie came in and I was like oh babe I am so sorry like and I know I didn't have to apologize and I know and she was like I can't like she was incredible as as you know most of us would be in that situation and without a doubt she could smell it but there's we're both stuck in this tiny room but yeah my my biggest point is that there is a whole lot the baby has to navigate and we are in control of that to some point to some extent and the way we are in control of it is what we do with our body how we connect to our body and our feelings as well So really thinking about the feelings dominate that polyvagal system. So if we're feeling stress, do we meet that stress? Do we allow the body to feel it in its entirety or do we brush it off? Do we try and be grateful? Do we shut it down? Do we tell somebody, don't ask me how I am because I'm going to fall apart? You know, most of us don't have a connection with our body and our feelings because of previous trauma and I people hear the word trauma and they think bad like horrible bad things trauma can be things like not being listened to not being heard not being guided to listen to your intuition so actually it's no longer there yes Melanie I had my hand up a second ago I just it was just something when you said you know about trying to turn the baby without considering all of the other things like it seems almost ridiculous now to sort of talk to women about, okay, if you don't want a posterior baby or if you want your baby to be not breech or whatever, just do this manoeuvre. Like just speak. There is a part of that that will work, 100%, right? Like so we often talk about rather than leaning back on the couch, lean forward right? Like that's, yeah, that's actually being mindful of what postures you hold your body in every day and the flow on effect that will have for you and your baby. So we have created lean back positions. We don't 
instinctually want to sit in that position. It's not instinctual or biological for the body to want to lean back onto a couch. We do that because we created the couch and so then we put our body in that position. Same with pooing. We're not meant to poo seated. We're meant to poo in a squat. We're meant to walk everywhere. We're not meant to drive. Now, I'm not saying all these things are horrible and we can't have any of them anymore. Um, What I'm saying is can we bring some awareness to it? right? Can we bring some awareness of how we move compared to perhaps how our grandmothers did and then what that's going to do to our body? And this is why, you know, yes, and those positions and those exercises are going to help. And again, there's no right or wrong. And this is really, all this stuff is about being intuitive, actually connecting to your body and going, what do I think I need to do? So please, if you're listening to this, I don't want you to feel overwhelmed and go, now I need to do all these things. What I invite you to do, and if the overwhelm is there, meet with it and ask it, okay, why is this overwhelm here? And often it'll be there because you're like, oh, I'm not going to get that birth I want. Can we pull it back a little bit and go, okay, what do I feel like I need? So I really want to say, don't get caught up in all the things you feel like you need to do. Listen to the body on what it wants you to do, what it's guiding you to do. And this is really what comes back to, I was talking about before and I forgot to kind of finish it and that's how my brain works a lot of the time. I go here, there and everywhere. But we have this, you know, trust your body, trust your baby. And I think a lot of the time when we throw that out there, we throw it out there with an agenda of trust that it will birth physiologically. And what I want to invite us to maybe expand a little bit on today is can we trust the body's knowledge no matter what? Can we actually trust the messaging of the body and what it's trying to tell us? And sometimes what it will be telling us is this baby isn't going to be born vaginally today and a cesarean is right for us right now. Sometimes the trust is trusting that the tear needed to happen for you and your baby to have the birth it needed. It's not trusting that it will be the perfect ultimate outcome. It's trusting that what the journey, right? And this is that shift in focus of seeing birth as a journey rather than the outcome and trusting that it, it happens exactly as it needs to and that all your feelings around that are valid. I'm not taking that away at all. We are allowed to have grief and disappointment and joy and pride and excitement and all the feelings, fear, they're all allowed to be there. But can we can we expand the trust in birth to be trust that it will be what it needs to be? And people will argue with that and go, oh, that's, you're just surrendering to the system or you're surrendering to the interventions. No. That's not what this is about. This is actually, and with in those situations, we want to trust the body more because I have been at births where that woman has said, you know, and especially in birth debriefs, I hear this all the time. The intuition is always there. It's just not listened to. And I think this has been a big driver in what I do in my work is listening to so many, aside hundreds of birth stories where people will say, my baby felt like it was stuck. Mm-hmm. or I just felt like it wasn't going to happen or something changed and I knew then that it wasn't going to happen. That's the body's wisdom. But never in the system do we go, hey, what's your body saying in this moment? Well, and like, the, and instead of saying like let's trust, let's trust birth because if we're going to truly, truly trusting birth is to trust that most of the time if you leave it alone it'll work but there's a percentage of the time that birth doesn't work. There's a percentage of people, if we didn't have cesarean sections, 
who would die. And there's, you know, so that that's why people started inventing interventions was to deal with the inherent um, problems that can arise in birth. I do think that the interventions that we've inter- like included in a lot of Western and modern births is increasing the chance of things not going well. But to truly trust birth, and people are like, no, no, I trust birth, I trust my body, I trust, well, yeah, but if you're tr- truly trusting birth, you have an unrealistic expectation and an unrealistic trust if you're trusting that it's always going to work. Because, I mean, I'm a home birth midwife. We very rarely do any kind of intervention unless the situation calls for it. And birth doesn't always go right, you know, even in, and, you know, there's women who free birth and their birth doesn't always go right. And they're like, well, what happened? I like, does birth not work? And well, actually, if you truly trust and know birth, then you've got to truly know that it doesn't always work. And so instead of saying, yeah, you know, I trust that my body's going to have this baby physiologically, just I trust that my body will tell me what it needs. Like I trust my body's wisdom in this circumstance. I had a client who was planning a vaginal birth at home and we ended up through various circumstances needing to give birth in hospital. And she's still committed to the plan of vaginal birth after cesarean. But, you know, she got to sort of five centimetres dilated and I remember her just looking at me saying, something's not right, it feels just like last time, this doesn't feel normal, I want to go for a cesarean section, take me like now. And and I just said to her, absolutely, let's make this happen. Like, you know, she knew she had this intuitive understanding that something wasn't right, that for some reason her baby was not going to come down or was in some kind of strife. And actually it was when, when we checked it, you know, the, the baby's heart rate, it wasn't normal. It was unusual. And so I think, yeah, rather than saying, hey, trust birth, like, well, we can trust birth to go as it should. Or if we truly understand birth, we've got to know that it doesn't always work that way. You know, I've seen people say, oh, you know, the placenta will always come out or this, you know, your baby can be born vaginally. I'm like, yeah, it can, but not all babies can. And not all placentas will come without assistance. Yeah, so if we, like you're saying, flip the language around and sort of go, well, I I trust that my body can tell me what it needs and I will listen rather than I will try and make it have a physiological birth. And then, you know, when, and then blocking out messages where maybe your body's saying to you, ooh, actually something's not right. That's not negative self-talk. That's, and that's not like a bad mindset. That's wisdom. That's your body's wisdom. And you've got to listen to it and go, ooh, is something not right? Is this my fear? Is this my anxiety? Is this, or is this actually happening? And when I work with people, that's a big part of what we try and nut out, right? When I work one-on-one, is this an intuitive fear? Have you got an intuitive fear of this birth? Or is this a past fear that's here because there's unprocessed feelings? And often it's the second. Often it's not an intuitive fear. They're just scared because they're actually still trying. The body's still remembering and it often will remember in pregnancy and birth, the last experience. It's still remembering its previous trauma. Yeah. And so it's that's where the fear is generated from, right? Because when the body doesn't get to feel what it needs to, 
we go into what is familiar for us and we shift into the prefrontal cortex and we try and problem solve. But yeah. this is the issue, right? Like you you mentioned that on briefly touched on it and is that we don't listen to the body's messages. In fact, we've created a whole culture that has been designed to ignore the body's messaging. And so I really think the trust your body piece has come as a solution to unnecessary intervention, right? Like because we have created through unnecessary intervention, we've created a whole lot of fear. And that's why you and I are here, Mel, right? We're doing this podcast because we've created a culture that doesn't trust birth. We've created a culture that feels like um, that believes birth is really scary and that all these babies die and all these mothers die, which is not what happens. And we have created this culture that believes that all most babies need to be, you know, most labors need to begin by induction and that one in three babies need to be born by a cesarean. Like there are deeply rooted belief systems now. And so the trust piece has kind of come to kind of try and do something about that. But I think what's happened is we're not trusting the journey. We're just trying to trust birth in that. And yes, we do need to trust birth a hell of a lot more, right? That's obviously why Mel and I are here. And we're definitely not saying we don't want to, but we want to really trust all that comes with that, not just the epic bits. Everyone's experiences are very different. Everyone's connection to their body is very different. And so you know, and we're just inviting you if you're listening to this thinking, yeah, actually I'd like to connect with my body more, know that you can. And so a big part of, you know, there's lots of different things that we can do for maternal alignment. Um, the biggest things that I love are movement. The more we move, and I didn't do anything specific. I had two very straightforward, physiological, undisturbed labours. My first was like eight hours of active labour. My second was one hour. I didn't tear. All those things that lots of people want, not everyone wants. I really want to acknowledge that. Some people don't want a birth like that, but often people aim for that kind of birth. And I just exercised. I mean, I did my exercise program that I have, my core and floor pregnancy program, my second pregnancy um, created some of it while I was pregnant, um, but really just moved my body and worked with my body. I also worked with body workers because that felt good. And the body workers I worked with in my first pregnancy were different than in the second based on where I was and just where, I, you know, I'd really moved into osteopathy. Um, I did a lot of beautiful gentle chiropractic in my first and I love that. I did acupuncture for both. Um, but everything that we do is about creating space. And so now if I was pregnant again, I would probably do a lot of breath work um, and that deep intuitive connection to my body, which has always been there, but my intuitions had to yell at me in order for me to pay attention. Whereas now I'm really kind of, I, I go to it, I ask it, okay, I'm here, I tell it I'm here and I'm listening. Yes, Melanie. We've got um, a breath worker, Eleanor Mann, is coming to the Convergence of Rebellious Midwives Conference in August. So if anybody's listening and doesn't know this yet, we're running a conference, the Convergence of Rebellious Midwives, and it's going to be about filling midwives' cups, settling their nervous system and giving top-quality education. And one of the things that we'll be doing is a breathwork session with Eleanor. Just when you said breathwork, I was like, ooh, I have to tell everybody she's coming. So that'll be amazing. So we can all learn. Breath work and yes, calm our nervous systems. 
And I really wish as midwives we had more of these skills and I want to give these skills to midwives because I think, you know, if you were being cared for and your midwife really knew all these things to be able to do to help us in labour, like, you know, when we want a baby out really quickly, what do we do? We put people on their backs with their knees out um, and their ankles in and we get them to hold their breath and bear down, all of which close the space, right? Close the space of the pelvis and make the space the baby has available to move smaller, right? So laying on the back compresses um, that, that sacrum. It doesn't allow it to open up. Knees out, closes the pelvic inlet, coach pushing. And we know this, the evidence shows coach pushing increases the time it takes to get a baby out. And so we really need to start really thinking about what we're doing and the practices that we do and and their effect on physiology, aka their effect on maternal alignment, which is then going to change the amount of space baby has available to undertake its mechanisms of labor right? And and really acknowledging that each baby's mechanisms of labor have to align with the body, right? And so if the baby goes to do something and in its mother's body, it there's a constriction there, then it's going to intuitively try and work out something else, right? And that's often when we see babies will go one way and then they'll rotate the other. There is something there that is stopping them. And so we need as care providers to have this knowledge of going, okay, now what do we do next? And this is where I think some of those maneuvers, like the spinning babies, are great skills to have as midwives if they're needed. Um, and doing things in pregnancy that feel good for you. I mean, I don't believe every woman needs to be doing inversions. I don't. I don't think it's necessary. For some people, it may be helpful. Um, and I and if you're not connected to your body and you don't know how to be guided by it, I just want to say that's okay. That's many of us. And this is where body workers like osteopaths, um, chiropractors, masseuses, people that do kind of bodywork stuff can be a beautiful way to start to get to know your body, listen to it and work with it. Um, you know, we go to these people and they say, oh, this is twisted and that's twisted and this is like this. And we think, wow, how do they know that about us? But if you just stood in front of the mirror, right, like do this if you get a chance, stand in front of the mirror, where are your shoulders at? Where do your hands lie? Where do your feet fall? You'll be able to see, you know, one foot might be really rotated out and the other won't be. That tells us what's happening in that leg and hip. Look at what your back's doing, right? And do you really stick your bum out? Is that, do you get lower back pain? Is there compression? Like these people are just observant. I mean, they've learnt as well to what to look for, but there's no magic here. There's actually just being connected and observing somebody's body and witnessing how it moves, which we were all really good at and we just got busy. I remember seeing my osteo postnatally, my osteopath postnatally, and um, she's like, you can, um, you're feeling pretty good. She said, you just need a little bit more work. She said, but you can do that. I said, what do you mean I can do that? She said, you can check in with your body and let it settle back into its place. She said, you've just got to lie down and, and um, feel it. And I was like, what are you doing about? I was like, all right, I'm going to try. I literally laid on the floor 
and just paid attention to where my body was. And you can, all of a sudden you start like making adjustments because one hip feels higher than the other or it feels asymmetrical or like one shoulder's popped up differently to the other. And so you start readjusting where your body's positioned and then sinking into that and feeling little like clicks and changes in your body and you're like, whoa, my body is literally putting itself back into place. And if I'm paying attention to where one foot's hanging versus the other and if my knees are up off the ground and where my back is in relation to the ground and how does my, like, am I hunching my shoulders? You know, she said you can adjust yourself. You don't have to keep coming here. Like there's nothing wrong. You just need to keep checking in and realigning and and giving and letting your body rest in it. And that's the best advice I have ever had from a body worker and I tell all of my clients I'm like just lay on the ground for 10 minutes trust me you you will learn things about your body you're inviting them to connect with themselves you're inviting them to be aware and this is you know we talked about this before and then I got distracted again um but the body's messages we've been conditioned not to listen to and we actually are conditioned to go into our brain and either shut them down or believe that other people are the experts over our own body right and so we've really been conditioned to rather than go internally and trust ourselves and see ourselves as the expert like nobody lives in your body no nobody does that you are the expert of your body you know it better than anyone else but we have been deeply conditioned and I blame this on the GP culture that we grew up with like most of us in the 80s and 90s like I got taken to the GP for everything. Like I feel like all of us got taken to the GP for everything. It's like, go to the GP, go to the GP. My kids are, and, and not, this is not a badge of honour, but I've never had to take my children to a GP. Like they're six and almost three. Neither of them have been to one. But we very much grew up in that someone else knows something about our body and we need to go to them and pay them money to find out about it. And I do believe in body work because I was like, I say that we were the children of the GP culture and now my children are the, the children of the um, allied health culture because, you know, they go and have the osteo and, and um, that's what my children actually have is osteo. But it's that handing over the power of, oh, you tell me what's wrong with me, right? And most people do. They go to a doctor and they say, tell me what's wrong with me or tell me what I need to do. And that our power and often birth is asking us to tap into our power because motherhood requires us to tap into our power like birth physiologically asks us to tap into our power so we feel that confidence going into motherhood and so it's about awareness connecting with your body and going what do I feel like I need what is my body telling me but yeah we've been conditioned to hand over the power we've also been conditioned to ignore the body's messaging through pain medication and and pharmaceuticals. Um, And so, you know, all these rites of passages that we're meant to have as women when we start bleeding, when we give birth, and when we go into menopause, you look at the cultural messaging around all those three big things, right? It's exactly the same cultural messaging and themes around bleeding, birthing, and menopause. Is it their awful experiences? They're embarrassing. We should have have to have grit through them, that pain is the enemy. We want to take the pain away and that the medical world is there to save us. So take the neurofin and the Panadol for the periods, take the epidural for the birth, take the hormone replacement therapy and all the drugs for menopause. Again, not wrong. If that's how you want to do those things, great. We just have a culture that hasn't been like, hey, 
what do you feel like you need? Because I feel like period pain is our body's beautiful way of telling us we're out of balance. And oof, that's, you might get some emails about that because there's a lot to that. But our our body is, and there's incredible books that are written about this. There's When the Body Keeps the Score. There's Women's Wisdom, Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom. Actually, can we see our symptoms and our issues as our body's way of whispering to us sometimes or yelling at us and asking for its attention? Um, and so, yeah, sometimes it just takes laying on the floor and going, oh, what does this feel like? You don't have to be a magician to get to know your body. I want to say that. You can literally just go, what am I feeling? What does this feel like? What am I feeling in my body? Oh, what is happening? What's moving? You know, and if you need some, like a lot of what I do when I do internal release and I do body work is just showing people that it's there. Like, hey, can you feel this? Like I just did a session before this chat today and this woman had this beautiful experience and I could feel her whole body open. And I, was, and I was like, did you feel that? She was like, oh, my goodness, that was amazing. I felt like my neck and shoulders and all my tension just released. And then instantly I felt it constrict back and I was like, what's going on for you now? And, and she was like, oh, yeah, I've just had a thought about something. And I'm like, yeah, I felt that thought. I felt how your body felt that thought and your body felt that thought by constricting. And then we went into that because there was trauma there, right? So she opened up and as soon as the body started opening up, there was like, oh, no is some fear. And so we worked with that. So in summary, what I want to say is there is a lot we can work with and the way, and what we're trying to do is create space in our body so that our babies have more space available to them to navigate throughout, through our bodies and through the birth canal to be born, right? That's the gist of it. And so the ways we can do that, there's many different ways my invitation is to connect with yourself and ask yourself what feels good for you and where do you feel like you need to go. So perhaps it's breath work, perhaps it's movement, perhaps it's being more aware of your postures. And it's this isn't about perfection. I really want to say that here. The body's always working towards homeostasis, which is balance, but it doesn't stay in it. The body doesn't stay in balance. It's working towards it. So this isn't being about being perfect. This is about being aware and, and nourishing yourself in, in the way that feels good for you. So perhaps we don't sit with our legs crossed all the time. Perhaps we get up and give ourselves a movement break. Perhaps we start to bring in some more exercise. And yeah, I hear you. If you've got that pelvic girdle pain, I had it too. Guess what it wants? It wants movement. Um, sometimes it wants rest. Sometimes it wants you to be more supported and held. So we can use movement, we can use functional movement throughout our day, we can use different positions that we hold our body in that feel better for our body and give our body more space, so less compression through that lower back and less tension. We can look now, Mel's moving all over the place. She's like, I need to move. Um, we you were talking about lower back compression. I was like, oh, actually, I am feeling compressed. I should do a stretch while B's talking to me. <laughs> Stretching is instinctual, right? You look at newborns and animals, they stretch when they wake up. What do adults do? They reach for their phone, right? And so we want to bring more movement in, however that looks like. It doesn't have to look like hardcore exercise. Movement can be breath work. It can be gentle stretching. It can be using a roller or a self-massage ball, a spiky ball. All of that is going to release tension. It can be diving into what is causing your sympathetic domination. Is it that you feel unsupported and overwhelmed, right? Book a chat with us. I've got the most divine team that are working with us at the moment. Um, but to dive into that, like we're here, being heard 
really helps to decrease tension in the body. And often just having someone hold you can be the space you need to actually be able to listen to your intuition. And so we can hold that space for you and actually go, okay, where do you want to go with your body? It can be body work with other care providers. Um, So there's lots of different ways you can go. If you want to watch the webinar, we talk a lot about the muscles. We show you them. We do an exercise session in there. And then I've got my live classes as well. So um, I have breathwork classes. I have pregnancy Pilates, pregnancy yoga, pregnancy strengthen, and then I've got my programs. So if you want to move, I gotcha. Uh, and if I don't, if if you don't align with me and my team, that, that doesn't bother me at all. Go move, find movement that feels good for you. We do dance classes that are just scrumptious. They're so good for just releasing tension. So really coming at it in that beautiful holistic way of how can we soften our bodies? And I think a big thing that happens too is we like to exercise a lot, but we and I and I see this in super fit women that end up having obstructed labors um, because there's no space. There's so much tightness in their body from constantly working out. Those abs are tight, pelvic floors tight, hips and glutes are tight. And we really live in a world where the fitness industry value strength they don't value balance they value tone and strength and so there's this whole drive towards tone tight muscles actually birth and pregnancy and birth are a period of softness and stretching and opening so yes we want muscle tone yes we want strength especially to support us in our labor and birth but to also support us postpartum and like doing a squat we get that lengthening and we get that contraction so movement gives us both but we just want to make sure that we're really getting balance rather than favoring one thing over another and mostly we favor tone and tightness and tension so come join the webinar come join some live classes, book a one-on-one chat. And if you're interested in the birth trauma stuff, um, Lael and I ran birth trauma debriefing this year and it was sold out. We've had a lot of interest in next year. So we've run, we're running two workshops. There's one in Byron Bay in February over five days for those people that are interstate come and have a beautiful nourishing holiday and learn at the same time. And then we're doing one again in Melbourne over three weekends. So that is to train to be able to hold space for people with birth trauma. You do not have to be a um, midwife to do that. So it might be that you're a physiotherapist and actually you hear a lot of birth stories because people come to you um, and you want to be able to hold space for your clients more. You might be an osteo, you might be a doula. We, we had some people who had no experience in birth work at all do it last time and they just, they're doing beautiful work now. So um, that's running in February. You can find information. I'll give Mel the details, but um, so there's a link below at our motheration website that Lael and I, our business, we have together. And thank you for letting me hold that today. Uh, well, and it's really exciting to hear your side of it because next week we have got, um, we're hearing from osteopaths. And these are the, a practitioner that both B and I really use. And I recommend that everyone has an osteopath. That's They're always our first point of call for anything in our family. And, you know, when immediately when my clients say to me, oh, I feel this and I feel that, I'm like, do you have an osteopath? So we really wanted to continue on with this maternal alignment discussion uh, with a perspective with an osteopathic perspective as well so that's going to happen next week so I really appreciate you kind of setting the scene for that 
And we're going to talk, we'll probably, it, it'll be with Dr. Liz and Catherine Johns. Um, their story is amazing. They are twins and they're both pelvic floor osteopaths who teach pelvic floor osteopathy through the pelvic, I think it's the Pelvic Health Institute, um, and they are the daughters of an incontinence nurse. Oh, my gosh. I'm like their their life was destined. So they love their big on all the research um, as well. So we, we'll dive into like a whole body kind of um session next week as well but hopefully that's given you some info and some inspiration to just bring some space into your body and we've got a few announcements for you guys as well so few very well one very everybody gets a car just kidding you get a car and you get a you car, get a car. Okay. no one gets a car sorry <laughs> we're not we're not doing that well sorry so one very exciting announcement one very sad one but that's not that 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 sad but First, the exciting announcement is that this week the Convergence of Rebellious Midwives Conference opened up ticket sales. I haven't even told you this yet, B. the news. I saw, I was wanting to ask you about it. So, okay. yes, I'm here for this announcement. Right. So, um, so uh, for about three months or so, we've been telling people to put themselves on the mailing list if they want to hear about the conference and um, we finally released ticket sales this week only to the people who are on that mailing list because there's about 800 people on the mailing list, but we can only fit 450 people in the conference. And so I wanted to make sure that the Keen Beans got early access to the tickets before they go for public sales. So if you you can get on the mailing list and therefore opt in to buy a ticket to the Convergence of Rebellious Midwives, that's at my website, melaniethemidwife.com. Just register your interest and you'll get an email about how to register for the conference. But, B, it's a quarter sold out of actual conference tickets. We've got Dr. Stu Fishbane, who was coming to do a post-conference workshop, two-day reteach breach workshop. That sold out in 18 hours. And so we've opened a pre-conference workshop. He's basically going to do two workshops, two reteach breach workshops. That reteach breach workshop, the pre-conference one, is half full already. What I'm trying to say is, is if you want to come to the Convergence of Rebellious Midwives Conference, which is next year in August in Sydney, uh, I don't know if the ticket sales are going to make it to public release because. They're only available to the people on the mailing list and they're, they're quite steadily selling. So if you want to come to the Convergence, you don't have to be a midwife, but it is pitched at midwives. But, you know, doulas and, you know, really savvy women might be interested in coming and other other allied health workers and obstetricians and GPs um, get on the mailing list for that. Now, the sad news. No, I really, I really want to extend that up. I would love some obstetricians and GPs to come, please. Totally. Please tell your obstetricians and GPs to come to the Convergence. Well, we've got, I mean, Dr. Stu Fishbane is an obstetrician. He's one of the speakers. We've got, who else is, oh, Kirsten Small is a retired obstetrician, but also um, researcher, uh, obstetric researcher and midwifery researcher. We've got Sarah Buckley, who's a GP. You know, these are all people who are still in your field. We've got Hannah Darlin, Hazel Keedle, Eleanor Mann, Athena Hammond. Um, who am I missing? Uh, Cheryl Sidery, B and I will be talking there. Um, I feel like I've forgotten one person. Oh, Elizabeth Newham, who we interviewed on the podcast. If you're loving the podcast, you'll love the convergence. Yes, we're going deep, like really high quality education, but not only high quality education, 
high quality food, high quality entertainment, high quality let your hair down type situations. Like B and I are partiers. Well, I was really hoping to be pregnant and give birth at the conference. That's my plan. My husband is 100% against that, but I do have time. Imagine that. that's my dream everyone I'm just goal and look goals are just dreams with deadlines so well I'm currently fielding July inquiries and the convergence is in August so maybe not this cycle maybe next cycle Mm, yeah yeah well for that um Um, Mr Corin Floor is a definite no um but watch this space. I'm not going to tell you if I'm pregnant. I'm just going to rock up to the convergence 40 weeks and just drop a baby. Not you, Mel, just the listeners. You'll know. You'll at least be able to fulfill your conference responsibilities because B's going to be running restorative um, movement classes every morning of the conference. You are. Mm. I already told you about this. Yeah, you did. Uh, that, That messes with that plan a little bit. Well, yeah, we'll see how you no, go. No, restorative. I can do restorative. Yeah, Why restorative. Not? Maybe I'll give birth during one of those because I'll be so open. Well, anyway, what's the bad just, news? Yeah, what's the, the bad, bad news? news. Well, it's not bad for us. It's bad for the listeners who rely on us every single Monday to deliver an episode and fill their week with joy and information. But B and I need a little, a very short rest. Don't get too upset. But B and I, are, you bet you wouldn't believe it, but we're humans with physical um, limitations. And one of those limitations is, um, yeah, we, we need to give ourselves a little rest. So the bad news is, or the good news, the good news for us is, is that we are taking the month of December off podcast releasing and we will be that, hang on, wait, I, I'm giving too much bad news. This is the second last podcast. Our next podcast will be with the osteopaths and that's going to round off our 2023. And we will be back with you in January 2024, podcasting weekly as we always have. This is just us recoiling. Can you imagine how good we're going to be in January once we've had a rest? Um, the other amazing news, I t- completely forgot to tell you. Uh, so we went, this is shit sandwich. So good news, bad news, good news now. Uh, it's good news for me and B. I don't know what you guys feel like. But B, we hit half a million downloads this week. And I've been so busy releasing convergence tickets that I completely forgot to like publicly celebrate the fact that half a million hours, like most of our episodes are over one hour long. We have been talking electronically for half a million hours and my mum told me my whole life to get off my high horse well mum oh. this is what the high horse looks like I was destined to be on it but that is so yesterday I had to do a post I, I did a post and um I had to say how many podcast how many downloads and I was like oh surely we're at 450 but I can't wait for it I don't know why I'm getting excited I've never been about numbers but, you, know, but I think that's a lot. That's a that's that's a celebration to the people who support us. Well, what that does is that means that we've invested our time properly because people are listening and they're coming back to listen to other episodes. And honestly, uh, your emails and messages would look the same as mine. Be I reckon at least 
four or five messages through Instagram or via email from women telling us how much of a difference this information is making in their birth journeys. And, you know, one woman told me four, about four or five per day, not like just four or five ever. No, no, per day. I'm exactly. using four or five, like four or five messages. No, no, four or five uh, per day. Like I literally have hired someone to help me. Yeah, I've hired someone to too. <laughs> um, I mean, we're not we're not excited because it's good for us. What I'm excited about is that we, you know, I spend almost an entire day putting this podcast, every episode together. By the time we research, plan it, record it, edit it, get it up, right? It's a full day. And and I'm so glad that that time investment is actually um, being impactful. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not sort of going, woohoo, half a million, that's amazing. I'm just glad that the time that we've invested and the knowledge that we've been able to share is making a difference and it is impacting women. And midwives, when you recommend our podcast to women, you're helping to change their birth journeys and their birth stories. And so we're all in this together. This is just us giving a tiny piece it's a beautiful feedback loop, right? Because like the midwives tell people to listen to us and then they listen to us and then the midwives are able to work more autonomously in the way they want to because they're working with people who who want to work with their bodies and, and yeah, it's epic. And just to, you know, obviously we do this for free. We have the option. People would, people, advertise, advertisers have asked, they ask all the time. They would pay us a lot of money for this and Mel and I could probably make a week's salary off just one podcast, which is a lot of what people do. And we have for a year and a bit now said no to that. So thank you for supporting us in other ways. When you do Mel's mentorship or when you come to the Convergence or when you buy one of my programs or book with one of my people to chat with us um, or give me some money for the antenatal classes, like they're still free, but sometimes people chuck a few bucks my way. That That's huge. And that allows us to dedicate our time to this. So thank you, because it is a lot of work. Mel does a lot more than I do. Well, Mel does a lot more work than I do in it and a lot more time, but just thank you, because it is time consuming. And so you're you supporting us and recommending us, even like people when they buy from our store, that lets me do this. So thank you for supporting us and being here. Thank you, I think. And we're done. We are done. Thanks, B, for bringing that. That has been this week's episode of The Great Birth Rebellion and we'll see you in next week's episode, the last episode of the year, uh, next week. See you then. Thanks for listening with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite podcast platform and join our mailing list at melaniethemidwife.com. Mel sends out weekly emails with access to all the evidence we use in this podcast. You can find out more about Mel at melaniethemidwife.com and find out more about me, B, at coreandfloor.com.au. We can't wait to bring you next week's episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> All right. <laughs>